In other words, this is super serious stuff. It has super serious implications on all of the false things that you've believed about yourself up to this point. You got to get rid of them. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast. I am Dr. Douglas Peak, and I'm your Salty Pastor. Currently, my compadre and co-host, Jesse Mayer, is out helping fundraise for cancer research. So I'm just kind of doing uh, uh, more of a long form where I can kind of go maybe even a little bit deeper on some things. So please let me know if you like this style, if you appreciate it, or if you want to go back to it, whatever your opinion doesn't matter. You won't hurt my feelings. Just let me know. Uh, but these kind of uh, monologuing approaches sometimes help us get into a little bit more detail on our Bible study and application than ever before. Please do me a great big favor and go to our YouTube channel and like and subscribe because that really helps boost uh, access to many of the tools that YouTube supplies us in order to continue to build out the platform. Also, go to our website. Check it out. You can go back and now you can search old episodes by either Bible verse or topic. And that's a really cool feature there to see kind of what we've been doing over time. So I we we kind of talked last Tuesday. We jumped into Judges chapter six to look at how the third cylinder of the Great Commission engine, which is surrendered living, uh, actually plays out in our life. And we just talked about how Gideon started off in a very immature and weak place in his life. And if you read the first, you know, half of Judges chapter six, you know, he's visited by an angel and the angel calls him a great warrior. And he basically says, what, are you kidding? I'm in, you know, I'm hiding in a hole threshing wheat. And then he says, you're going to deliver the, you know, the Israelites from the Midianites. And he's like, yeah, I'm no way. I'm the, the smallest, weakest family. And then I'm the runt of the litter. And yet, so what the first step of surrender living is that we kind of have to give up our own perception of our skill set and who we are. And we have to uh, believe what Jesus says about us. And that brings healing and wholeness in our life. You know, it also frees us from addiction uh, when we surrender from God. We kind of talked about that. So now I'd like to kind of talk a little bit more about the story of Gideon and how surrendered living is exemplified in his life really starts to, uh, manifest itself in your life. And you're going to see how discipleship is all about surrendering these things in our lives to God and how, as we surrender to Jesus, our, our, our faith grows in a much more confident and mature way. And we end up with more courage and direction and focus than we could ever imagine. It's really interesting how surrendering to Jesus creates more confidence in who you are. It creates a higher value sense of, of worth in your own being. It's really interesting how that works all because you're willing to give up what you believe about yourself and you start ad uh, adopting what Jesus believes about you and you start adopting what he did for you and the implications of it in your own life. So we've been talking about surrendered living and how surrendered living is kind of the third, you know, cylinder of the great commission engine in your own life that grows your faith. And it's about learning to obey all that he's commanded. So what does that look like when it comes to your life? Okay. Well, first of all, 
I'd like to say today that surrendered living is the key to experiencing more success in your life, to living a, a well-lived life, okay? People who grow up in homes where both of their parents were super great examples and really showed them how to live life to its fullest are becoming fewer and far between. You know, secularism has destroyed the family. It really has. And more and more people have been raised in unhealthy situations. So when it comes to actually how to live life successfully, they don't really have a model or example of how to do that. And if they do have a model or example, sometimes it's a really bad one. You know, it's like, well, my, my tendencies or my reflexes, you know, to follow this bad example whenever I'm in a situation of stress or pressure or have obstacles in my life. So surrendered living to Jesus is the key to being successful in the most important areas of your life. Instead of following a bad example or no example at all, you know, or turning to the society to give you direction on these areas of your life, why not follow the example of the most successful human being that ever lived? Why not do that? That seems to make so much more sense to me. I'm not asking you to follow me. I'm not asking you to follow, you know, the elders or, or I'm just asking you to follow Jesus because when it comes to your life and how to live a successful life, He's the most successful human being that ever lived. For example, do you want to raise really great kids? Do you look back and think to yourself, man, I, I don't have a good model, a good example on how to raise my own kids. I just don't have that. And so where is it going to come from? What is it going to, where do I get the ideas? Well, follow the teachings of Jesus. You know, Jesus shows a perfect example on how to be direct and truthful and, and be holding people accountable, right? But also to be loving and compassionate. I mean, he, he's like a perfect parental figure. You know, he knows when to draw the line. You know, I mean, so many times when you read about Jesus and the way he interacted with his disciples, you know, often he raised the bar and he said, oh, you of little faith. And sometimes he would say, Oh my goodness, haven't you ever listened to anything I've taught you? You know, why do you keep doubting? You know, he's, it's interesting how he was willing to coach them and even hold them accountable for bad behavior. Like when they were arguing over who's going to be number one in the kingdom. You know, I mean, even one time Peter said, you're not going to give your life. You're not going to die. And he looked at Peter right in the eyeball and said, get thee behind me, Satan. I mean, these are great parental examples of knowing how to love your kids, how to encourage your kids, but also how not to coddle them, but to, to give them truth and, and to correct them when they need to be corrected, formulate a discipline plan. And ultimately, when you look at Jesus, he sent his disciples off. He would commission them. He'd send them out in the world, go do their own thing. These are perfect examples of how to be a really great parent. So, you know, I can't get into it super deep here, but let me tell you something. If you need a model on how to be a good parent, follow the model of Jesus, the most successful human being that ever lived. What about um, when it comes to your marriage? 
Now, some people are like, well, wasn't Jesus single? How in the world is he going to? Well, let me tell you something. If you're going to base your expectations and your behavior towards your spouse on the world or on yourself or some poor model that you had, it's going to be a long slog. It's going to be hard to be married, even in the best of circumstances. Being married, keeping a lifelong commitment is a challenge. It requires work. It requires growth. It requires change on your part. I, can, I, w- I want to tell you two, two very important facts. Number one, if you get married throughout the course of your marriage, you're going to change. You will not be the same person towards the end of your marriage that you were when you got married. You will change. The second fact, you get to choose into who you change into, right? Now, if you take all your cues from the world or from a bad model, toxic situations or movies or romance novels, guess what? You are going to have a struggle in your marriage. It's going to be a long slog. Instead of being a walk in the park, Kazansky, does anybody remember that reference? It's going to be an uphill, you know, rain in your face, muddy slog. It's just going to be hard. And if you want to be married and be successful at it, then the first thing you got to do is say, who will be my example? And guess who's the best human that ever lived? Jesus. And that's what's interesting is what changes your marriage is not getting your spouse to change, right? What changes your marriage is when you get yourself to change. And I guarantee you that the better you become as a human being is inspirational to your spouse to become a better human being, except in one or two circumstances. And this is my caveat. I want to give it to you. Number one is if your spouse is addicted, okay, if they are addicted to something, then they are under the influence of the evil one and they are in his control. So you have to be really careful about that. And becoming a better human being often means becoming a stronger human being, particularly in how to deal with the acts and works and influence of the devil in your life. And I'll tell you what, you can't deal with the devil when you're weak. That's why Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, it says, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God. So that in the end, you can stand firm. Now, listen to those words. Those are not words of lie down and be weak. They're about learn how to fight, learn how to be strong, and exactly what does that look like and what does it mean? Well, if you're not surrendered to Jesus, if you're not actively trying to surrender to him, then it's really difficult to grow strong, particularly in your marriage. So surrendered living is so interesting because we, I think, have such a narrow vision of what it is. And if you remember on Tuesday, I started off as that the first thing you have to surrender, the first phase in your journey with Jesus is to stop believing all the wrong things about yourself. You have to give up your own false beliefs about who you are. Remember I quoted uh, Carl Menninger, the great psychiatrist, who said, man, 75% of the patients in my uh, mental hospitals would walk out the door the next day if I could completely convince them that they were forgiven. Wow, what a statement that is. Do, do you 
maybe one of the reasons why you're not growing and you're not able to surrender more is because deep down in your core, you don't believe that you're completely and unequivocally forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. I mean, you got to th- you got to work through that. So surrendered living starts with understanding your salvation, understanding how much you have been forgiven, not how much you've been forgiven of, but how much you've simply been forgiven. What actually has Jesus done to heal you and to restore you and to adopt you into his family, bestow upon you the righteousness of Christ? You're no longer a citizen, uh, alien. You're no longer a foreigner. You're now a citizen of heaven. You're a child of God. Man, these are powerful statements of who you are now. I mean, in a way, if you were to think of when I came to Christ and was saved, that changed my position, you know, from foreigner to citizen. Then surrendered living is all about the process of growing in what Christ has done for you. And I think this is what Paul gets to in uh, Philippians chapter three, where he says, you need to work out your salvation in fear and trembling. In other words, this is super serious stuff. It has super serious implications on all of the false things that you've believed about yourself up to this point. You got to get rid of them. And that, that takes some serious intentional work. So surrendered living and to be a disciple of Christ begins with dispensing of your own false notions about who you are. And you have to adopt only what Jesus says who you are. That's a, that's a big belief shift, right? The second thing is, is that you've got to see that I'm going to surrender the, the gods of this world that I've turned to to try to make me happy or fulfill me or grow me. I've got to get rid of all those things. Just like Gideon chopped down the Asherah, right? And he used it to build an altar to sacrifice to God. Wow, what a visual that was. And a lot of people I know really struggle with uh, sexuality and sexual intimacy and what exactly is sex and how should we view sex? Is it a sacred thing or is it a non-sacred thing? If it's a non-sacred thing, how come, you know, you can be so hurt and wounded by it? If it wasn't a sacred thing, then, I mean, sexual abuse would be the equivalent of overeating. And people would think it's, it's not such a big deal. But... Well, wait a second. We don't think that at all, do we? Doesn't even the way we treat sexual abuse, doesn't that betray the fact that we as a culture, even people outside of the kingdom of God, see sex as a sacred thing? It's something so much more spiritual than we could ever imagine. Well, guess what? Surrendering to Jesus means I'm going to give up my false notions of what it is and what it's meant to do. I'm going to surrender those and I'm going to adopt what Jesus says it is. Uh, it's really important to understand that, you know, once you do that and you start to heal, you can be freed from addictions. Uh, That doesn't mean you don't need programs and help and support, but it starts spiritually. And then out of that bucket flows all of these other things, physical freedom. And that sometimes takes hard work, right? And support and programs and encouragement. Uh, and then comes emotional, the emotional work has to happen too. And, Once those things happen, then you can enter into this third stage of, okay, now I can adopt the model of Christ for all these successful areas of how to be a good parent, how to be a good friend, how to be a a good spouse, how to be a good married person. What about your career? You see, if you come to Christ in salvation and then you start to be healed of these wrong perceptions, It's easy to have joy in your career because you're not using your career to bring you satisfaction and value in your life. See how easy that was? It's so easy. Once you get the first part stuff, 
happening, the, the, the basics, then as you grow in faith, you become more successful in life. And the reason why is because you stop using the things of this world, the promises of this world, to bring your life value. And it's really interesting. Some of the most spiritual people, the most grounded people, uh, are the most successful in business you'll ever meet. And it's so amazing how that true. There was uh, a story. I can't remember if I w saw this on 60 Minutes or if I saw it on one of those news magazines. This is probably 15, 20 years ago. And they did a little uh, biography thing about the Chicago Board of Trade where they trade options. Extremely stressful. And they did these two guys. They go, well, if you do this for a living, this is back in the 80s, I think, you can make a lot of money. You can get really, really wealthy really, really fast. And they, they showed this one guy first, and he was in his mid-30s. I'll tell you, this guy looked like he was 60 years old. I mean, he looked like the most unhealthy person. And during the interview, man, he just kept popping in Tums and antacid like it was candy. I mean, even during the interview. And they ask him about, are you stressed? Oh, I'm so stressed out, man. I'm, I'm losing my hair. I'm losing this. And I go, how old are you? you know, I'm like 34. And they're like, oh, my goodness. You know, you look like you're 60 years old. And I go, it's terrible. I can't deal with the stress. I got to get out of here before I die. I just got to make my number so I can get out and not do this anymore. I just can't handle the pressure. But so he's going on and on and on how bad it is. And then they show a guy who's in his mid-50s. And this dude, I mean, everybody was running around all crazy. You know how they do that, you know, throwing, making all these things. He's just sitting there laid back, you know, and, just, and they're interviewing him. And they go, man, you are the exact opposite of everybody out here is running around crazy. What's going on? He goes, oh, it just doesn't get to me. So I don't let it bother me. It's like, I know who I am. I know what I'm called to do. You know, and it was so amazing to see somebody who was like a, an, an island of peace in the midst of the storm. And yet here he was, and he's been able to be on the Chicago Board of Trade trading options for decades. He has more money and more success than anybody else. And yet he's the calmest person in the room. I mean, isn't that amazing? I, I remember an uh, interview I was watching when Trevor Lawrence, the quarterback for the Jacksonville Jaguars, and boy, he's building a dynasty down there. They just get better and better every year, is that he was at Clemson. You know, when Clemson won the national championship and they, they uh, lost a game and a bunch of people were like, you know, you lost this game. How does it feel? Blah, blah, blah. And I've showed his response in church many times. He goes, well, I don't let it bother me. He goes, look, I know why I do what I do. I do everything for Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. And he's the one who gives me value. You know, whether I win or lose, that doesn't give me any value at all. So it just allows me to go out and do my best. And I go, eh, kid, I think it's going to go far in the NFL, right? Because... The pressure of winning and losing isn't on him. It's just, it's not what gives him value. But what's really interesting is how he gets better and better every year and how his team is getting better and better. You know, they were at the bottom of the league, you know, and this year they were like one game away from the playoffs. So it's really interesting to see how they're growing and how much better they will do. But my point is this, is how do you get to that point? Through surrendered living. When you surrender to Christ and you start living and following him, that's where it happens. Now, in order to experience the benefit of following Jesus, in order to experience the benefit of surrendered living, you must let go of the things that interfere with your following him. And that, that's really where I want to get practical here, is that's where the real rub is for you spiritually. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, the author says, Therefore, now, whenever you hear the word therefore, you got to go back and read the first 11 chapters, right? And if you read the first 11 chapters of the book of Hebrews, it's really interesting because 
he starts off in the first chapter. He says, look, Jesus Christ is God. He is the exact radiance of God. And then, you know, in chapters two, three, he says he is the perfect intercessor. He is the one that has done everything for us. He so so he basically establishes Jesus as a centrality of our faith. And it's really amazing. And then he gets there after all this teaching of who you are in Christ. You see how he's dispensing of the false notions of who we are. Then you get to 11 uh, and he talks about the hall of fame of faith. And that is, is, is by faith. It's by faith that all these people did all these great things. And then verse 12, he says, or chapter 12, he says, therefore, based on who Jesus is and our faith in him, guess what? We have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Well, who are the great cloud of witnesses? The Hall of Fame of Faith in chapter 11. He talks about, you know, Abraham was a man of faith and David was faith and all these people in faith did all this stuff in faith. And he says, this is the cloud of witnesses surrounding us. He says, let's rid ourselves of every obstacle and the sin which so easily entangles us. Isn't that interesting? He says, look, if I want to experience the benefit of following Jesus, I need to get rid of every obstacle and the sin which so easily entangles me. He goes on to say, let us run with endurance the race that is set out before us, looking only at Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God. So it's really interesting. Um, in order to experience the benefit of following Jesus so that my faith grows and the Great Commission engine is fired up and giving me horsepower, all has to do with getting rid of things that interfere with me following him. The second thing is surrendered living is not easy. I'm not trying to say it's, it's a walk, you know, in the park on a sunny afternoon all the time. Surre and the reason why is because surrendered living requires you to give up one thing in order to embrace another thing. In other words, you have to let go of one rope in order to grab another rope. And so it forces you to clarify the specifics of your priorities in life. It requires you to really understand the, the significance of what Jesus is doing in you and then through you for the purpose of for you. So that's a, that's a big deal of working that out and understanding it. You have to really let go of the things that interfere with that process. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like, you know, when you ever drive your car and it's in congested, you know, and it's like two, three, four lanes. Is it? I don't know about you, but this always happens to me. It's like when I'm driving and there's traffic jam, the lane I'm in never moves. And the lane next to me is always just whizzing by, you know. And you're thinking, well, do I really want to get in that lane? Because maybe, you know, eventually they're going to have to get back over. And you have all these questions, but eventually you just get so frustrated. You're like, okay, I have to get out of this lane. I have to get into that lane. You know, so you're trying to figure out a gap and get over there, finally get in their lane. And then you're off and moving. You're going, man, I wish I would have done this sooner. And it's kind of like that. Surrendered living requires me to give up sitting in the lane that's not moving to get in the lane that is. And, and I need to start getting my faith whizzing on, right? And I, 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 I talked about this earlier, and I want to kind of come back to it, and that is this. If salvation is position, if, if Jesus changes your position from f stranger and foreigner to citizen and child of God, then surrendered living is taking your growth seriously by building on that thing. For instance, it's, it's kind of like this. Joe, uh, late 40s, has a heart attack. They rush him to the hospital. 
they were able to revive him. When he woke up, they said, look, you were dead on the table for eight minutes, but we were able to bring you back, bring you back to life. And so guess what? He leaves the hospital. He was dead. They bring him back to life. In a way, that's like salvation. Now, do you think he takes that seriously and starts making changes in his life? Or do you think he just goes back to eating and doing what he was doing before? Almost every guy that goes through that experience has told me the exact same thing. And that is, man, I, that was a wake-up call. <laughs> what a great phrase. I was dead, I was asleep, and then I, got, I woke up. And now I changed my, my exercise habits, I changed my diet, I changed all this stuff. I took it seriously. In the same way, are you willing to see that before Jesus I was dead? And then he brought me back to life. If that's true, then I want to surrender to him. I want to live in a surrendered life because I'm taking this life, this second chance seriously. And so the Great Commission is all about what Christ has set us apart in this world to do, and that is go and make disciples. And one portion of that is learning how to surrender my life to him. It's learning how to surrender these things. And the first initial steps of surrender is surrendering the things that keep me broken, that keep me incomplete, that keep me misunderstanding my salvation in Christ, that keep me uh, immature and weak. I have to give those things up. That's the first step. Then, then the second step is I start to grow in skills. Uh, I, I start to realize, wow, I believe Jesus has done things in me. He's given me a special gift. I'm starting to understand what that is, and I want to surrender to what those things are. I'm going to stop trying to be something I'm not. I'm going to be who God has made me to be. And then finally, you move into the greatest success of life as you start saying, I'm going to use Jesus as my example, and I'm going to follow him at every step of the way to achieve success in this life as well as the life to come. I mean, I don't think you can go wrong there. So I'm really glad that you took time to uh, be with me this week as we talked about surrender living. We got into uh, Judges chapter 6, and we talked about the essence of surrendered living according to Gideon in his life. Go back and read the whole story. I think you'll love it. But I hope that you start to see that this world that you live in is not friendly to your faith. And it's certainly not friendly to growing strong in the faith. But that is the only place to be. Because as you go strong in the faith, then everything that we've desired and want and long for, our souls thirst for in our lives, start to come to fruition. But that only happens if we walk the path of surrendered living. So figure out how you can surrender in your next step in your walk with the Lord. This is Salty Pastor, Dr. Douglas Peak, sharing with you today. I hope that your faith is renewed, and I pray that you grow stronger in 2024 like never before. God bless you, and have a great new year.